my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, our mission to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. Today, I need to address the Apple Antitrust case and how it affects your wallet, whether you're on an iPhone or an Android. Also, we've been talking about college lately because it's back to school season, but I have some new insights for you and info for you about how to make that college decision. So Apple lost a case that was really big on Wall Street and in the technology field, but mostly ignored by consumers. That is a significant issue that when I talked about it months ago, it had one of the strongest reactions on Clark Stinks most anything I've talked about this year. And it's about what I call the Apple and Google toll gate. That when you have an iPhone or an Android and you download an app that has a charge to it, that Apple and Google typically take 30% of the revenue. So effectively, whichever system you're in, the Apple or Android system with an iPhone or an Android phone, you are subsidizing the operations of Apple and Google. So Apple in particular has made it very difficult for an app to let you know you don't have to pay that 30% to Apple, that you can, on an iPhone, You can download an app, and then with the third party, the app that you've downloaded, whether it's Spotify or a game or whatever, that you can download it and not have to pay the 30% by going to the website once you've downloaded it, or vice versa. You could download the app second, but go to the website of Spotify or Epic or whoever and pay for your membership or subscription, but Apple prohibited any app from letting you know in the app that this was a way to get around Apple's toll gate or toll bridge or whatever you want to call it. Well, the judge said, not okay, and Apple has to allow any app to tell you when you have the app, hey, there's a cheaper way for you to buy our service, just click here. And you can pay for it there instead of billing through Apple. Now, here's where the rub comes for you as a consumer. And Google is going to have to comply as well over time. Here's where the rub comes. And this is what we've been going through with credit card charges as well. You know how some retailers and restaurants now charge less to you if you pay any other way other than a credit card. Use a debit card, you pay cash, they offer you a discount because of the massive credit card fees. So if the app developers for gaming or for whatever function an app does, if they give you a direct discount for bypassing, paying for the service you're buying on an app with Google or Apple, If they give you a discount, 
then that's fair and reasonable and how it should be. If, on the other hand, they're just like, hey, we're going to take 30% more revenue here because we're not giving Apple or Google their cut, there is no consumer benefit. And basically, it would make no difference in your life. And so what I expect, number one, I hope that people will learn the advantage of bypassing signing up for a subscription within your iPhone or within your Android phone and go to the company that you've downloaded the app from or for and sign up for a subscription there. Second, it is really smart for those services to offer a lower price if you bypass the ripoff 30% toll. And this will be a gradual thing. At first, I think that app developers will try to get you to subscribe on their websites, but they may try to keep all the money and not give you a discount from that 30% toll. But over time, competition in the marketplace will push things that way. The bigger issue and one to be decided later are what other restrictions are there going to be on Apple or Google. In South Korea, Apple and Google are under extreme restrictions on the role they can play with collecting any revenue from the phone. One side note I wanted to tell you, the new iPhone is coming out in a few weeks, and there's a lot of buzz that because of the market pressures that Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile are feeling, that there's going to be very heavy subsidies on the new iPhone. And it will be an opportunity if you want to switch cell phone providers, potentially to get a new phone for free, that for free. Somebody's paying. You just aren't. And with the carrier you're with right now, you may find that the discounts you'll get are lower. AT&T is already running a campaign on television that I saw during this weekend's NFL games that they're going to offer the same deals to existing subscribers as they do to new subscribers to AT&T Wireless. And I've always thought it was foolish of Verizon, T-Mobile, and AT&T when they only rewarded disloyalty instead of rewarding loyalty. And so I congratulate AT&T on doing the right thing by its loyal customers rather than saying, ha, what a fool you are staying loyal to us. You're not going to get the deal that people who switched us are going to get. All right. This question is from Jenny in Florida. I've been listening since college. I have an 800 plus credit score thanks to listening to you. I am 37. I'm worried about retirement. I only have $33,000 in a rollover IRA. I think I've been focusing on saving too much and not focusing on investing. With that said, I have $57,000 in savings. This year, I've put aside 9% of my income. 3% is toward a county-funded pension, and 6% is toward a 401k. I'm thinking of getting a part-time job and max out my 401k contribution with that income. What should I do with the savings next? Well, Jenny, gosh, you're being awfully hard on yourself because you have a near-perfect credit score. I mean, once you're 800, basically, it is a perfect credit score. You have been saving money. 
uh, you've got a tremendous amount in savings. And the first thing I would do before you eat into the leisure time in your life and have this guilt thing that you feel like you got to work, work, work more to put more money aside, you've already set a really nice table for your future with how you're obviously handling money. I would immediately take $6,000 of that $57,000 in savings and open a Roth IRA. And each year, I want you to do a Roth IRA. And that would be, if you work at all part-time in order to be able to afford to do that, get to 6000 bucks, do your Roth IRA, and call it a year on saving money and working part-time. Because that would be the, the thing I'd really love for you to do. Because that 6000 put in each year moving forward, will grow to be an enormous amount of money over time. And you could open a Roth with any of my favorite children. And, uh, you know, if you see on my investment guide and pop that money in there and take right now with the 57, go ahead and put in 6,000 right now. January rolls around, put in another 6,000. That'll get you 12,000 right away in a Roth. You invest that money. You still have a great cushion in savings even when you drop that to 45,000. And then set the goal when you hit 23 of coming up with money, whether you work just a a few part-time hours a week or something like that, just so you know you can do it, and get that 6,000 in every year into that Roth. And that will help you bulk up the money you have in savings. I'd also like you to do my 1% thing. Right now, you're doing 6% in the 401k, Um, Every six months, raise it 1%. So six months from now, let's say you raise it to 7%. And six months after that, raise it to 8%. You'll find that doing it in 1% increments, you won't miss the money. But over time, you'll effectively significantly increase the amount of money you're saving towards retirement. Okay, and this is from uh, Chad in Missouri, a coworker asked me how you can trust an online bank when anyone can build a website that looks like it could be a bank's webpage to gain access to other people's money. Could you give us some advice when looking at online banks? What should we watch out for and who can a person trust? Chad, this is a great question. And what's especially important now is there are a lot of pseudo non-banks out there that don't have FDIC insurance and are offering the equivalent of promissory notes right now. Many of them look like any other online bank, but they may not even be operating from our shores, but collecting money from Americans. So the easiest way to pick an online bank with the concern you have is look at bank rates list or our list of online banks. Uh, We have one at Clark.com, and then Bankrate, of course, has theirs. All the ones that we list and they list are FDIC insured. They are real legitimate online banks, and that would be no concern that somebody is pulling a fake out on you and your money could vanish on you as a result. This is from Rita in Georgia. Hi, Clark. I think I'm being scammed by this guy I met online by the name of Walter. He says he's in the Army and was deployed to Afghanistan with the American troops. Does the military charge their men and women a fee to be released from duty? 
How do we know if someone is who they say they are? Rita, thank you for your question. And your gut tells you you're being scammed. The odds are overwhelming. You are being scammed. We have had over the last 20 years, hundreds and hundreds of people who have told us they got scammed online by people who pretended to be in the U.S. military deployed overseas. And we've heard every possible kind there is attached to that. And so I think you need to follow your gut here that Walter is not in the Army. His name probably isn't even Walter. And obviously we don't have troops deployed in Afghanistan anymore that are official military. There may be some people that are with contractors since the Taliban took over. There may be some CIA operatives, but the U.S. military is no longer deployed in Afghanistan. You know, I don't know if you know this, but one gender is not going to college. And I want to talk about why And I also want to talk about new ways to pay for college. If college is right for you, it will keep you 100% away from debt. Men right now, 18 to 24, in huge numbers, are disconnecting from college. Either enrolling in college and dropping out within the first, typically the first year or so. And in very large numbers, men aren't even going to college. I saw a prediction in a Wall Street Journal story that I think it's two years from now, two-thirds of college graduates in the 2024 graduating year will be women. Now, women make up, what is it, 52% of the population, 51%, whatever, but they'll make up 67% of college graduates. And men just are like, I don't get it. It's not relevant to me. And not all men, obviously. Not all guys 18 to 24 are saying, forget college. But more and more are. I know a kid who um, is from a family that has a lot of advanced degrees. Uh, A lawyer is a grandmother, that kind of thing. And he out of high school, and uh, he did one of those baccalaureate, what's it called, the internet IB program Mm -hmm. that's like for late kids and all these, um, were the ones where you get the college credit, AP courses, did all that stuff, and then never spent a day in college. Went to Silicon Valley, got a job at 18, and is earning a great living writing code for a gaming company at 18. Uh, Now he's 20 years old, still doing that. And a lot of people are like, hey, what they teach in college is irrelevant. And it is true, and you may have heard me talk in the past, that the current way we're doing college with the uh, freshman and sophomore years being almost by rote that you do these Uh, these basic courses you have to do that have nothing to do with what you're going to major in, that the system is upside down and broken, in my opinion, that colleges are losing their relevance 
to today's teenagers. And I think that we need to have a rethink about for today's teens, they want to know where is it going to relate directly to what they're going to do with their lives. If it's not going to relate to that, then forget it. So, guys, you're not wrong that a lot of what colleges are doing right now feels like a waste of time. And that's why guys drop out so much in that first year or by halfway through the second year because they've been spinning their wheels in all these prereqs. And they're like, where does this fit in? How does this do anything for me in my future life? So I'd say colleges are guilty as charged for that. But at the same time, the average college graduate earns a million dollars more over a working lifetime than the average non-college graduate. It used to be 600000 but the number keeps moving up, I guess, because of inflation. But it's a million bucks difference. So is that a reason to go sit through those two years of mind-numbing 100 and 200-level courses? Not necessarily. I think it's important that in order to make education relevant, whether it's trade school, technical school, uh, apprenticeship, or college, it has to be tangible leading to something. Like somebody who goes to school because they ultimately want to be a doctor or a nurse or an accountant or an engineer. Um, what other things am I missing? A scientist. Krista, help me here. Psychologist. What, okay, that would be liberal arts college. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the courses of study don't have to be in a traditional four-year college for so many things. If you want to be an electrician, a plumber, um, a mechanic, there are state-supported technical colleges that offer those programs. But the never-never land that is referred to as the lost generation, I've heard it referred to with guys, is when guys get out of high school and there are very few exceptions with this, that if you don't go get a specific marketable skill, the job market remains really tough for you. And the unemployment cycles, what are called the unemployment cycles, where how often do you get laid off? How often do you have to go search for work again? Are much, much, much higher for people who don't have some kind of technical skill or training of some kind. So I know that I'll ask people, you think about it when somebody calls me about saving for their kids. And I always ask, what's the culture in your family? Do your kids grow up in a family where college is expected? And there are families like, in mine, my kids, it was never negotiable. They were all going to college. It was just the way it was. I know that's true for you, Krista, potentially. No, no, not with my son. No, I mean, we've never said that. It's their choice. But um, my daughter definitely always wanted to go. And my son says he wants to go, but he also wants to be a programmer. So we'll see. I don't think it's necessary. So you're not an authoritarian I'm household not. like no. we are. No, um, And, you know, another thing I've talked about just recently, the intense shortage of teachers. 
And if that's something that appeals to you, that's going to require a college degree. But again, I think it should be about something that's really relevant for you. Um, The cost of college, obviously it's ridiculous. And more and more employers are offering you the ability, if you work for them, that they'll pay for your college in full. Amazon was a Johnny-come-lately to this, but now Amazon is doing that as well, following many other retail establishments that are offering you typically with 20 hours or more of work a week, they will send you to college for free. And I do have a, a warning for you. We have been getting calls from people who either are asking about or complaining about having gone into income share agreements where you don't take on student loans, but you agree over your working lifetime to give a share of what you make to whoever it is who funds you for your college. And I just want you to know that that is something that is not a free ride for college. These employer things where they just pay for your tuition, that is the closest you're going to see for a free ride. It both brings money in that you're working 20 hours a week or more, and you don't have the money going out to pay for college. And I believe that people who work while they're in school are generally better students than people who just go to school. And particularly if you go to one of these uh, colleges in rural areas, a big quotient of it is partying and socializing and all that, and not really focused on academics. I think people who work 20 hours a week, and I I think more than 20 starts to impact your ability to do your academic work. But up to 20 hours a week, right around there, I think is really, really positive for people. Okay, Clark, let's get to some questions. This is from Todd in Florida. I saw an article on Experian that said starting November 30th, debt collectors can start contacting you through social media channels. I've not heard Clark talk about this yet. Will a drop dead letter work on a social media message? That is a great question, Todd, that is not clear yet. And Yes, I went into a full rage about the debt collectors being able to harass you on social media And they're able now under the new regulations to bother you all kinds of electronic ways, email, text message under the new rules, particularly the text messaging thing drives me crazy. So I don't know that this will ultimately take effect this fall. I'm still waiting to see if the uh, regulatory body that issued this with the changeover uh, in the political parties after Biden came in and Trump left, if this ends up being pushed aside. But as things stand now, debt collectors are going to be able to essentially public shame you uh, through trying to reach you on social media, and they'll be able to text you essentially unlimited times a day to harass you about a debt. This has nothing to do with whether or not you owe a debt or not. If you owe a debt and you have the ability to pay it, I want you to pay it. But there are specific rules under the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act to prevent harassment. And it's my feeling that this new regulation allows for harassment, and I don't like it. 
Okay, and Ron in Texas wrote in, I'm glad we're able to obtain our credit reports on a weekly basis until April of 2022. In our current age, with so much fraud and data being compromised, I feel like this should become the standard rather than a special allowance due in part to the pandemic. We shouldn't have to wait a year to access our credit report other than when we're denied credit. To whom can we write or call to make this a permanent change as the default? Let's have the, the site change to weeklycreditreport.com. I love that, Ron. Okay, so what you do, if you know who your congressman is, you call the congressman's office and bring this up and your two senators. And it's particularly valuable if your congressman is on the House Banking Committee or either of your senators are on the, the Senate Banking Committee and the committee has a more highfalutin title than that in each house but you get the idea because that's where any markup would happen that would require in a change to the uh, fair and accurate reporting act that the credit bureaus allow free access weekly to your credit reports an alternative is a marketplace one and that's to sign up at credit karma where you're able to see two of your three credit reports whenever you wish, and you get updated information and access to their version of your credit scores every single week. If your credit is frozen, Ron, you have to thaw your credit temporarily to set up a Credit Karma account and then let your credit go back frozen, and then you're still able to see your credit reports and you're even able to do um, free credit monitoring with Credit Karma and see those scores that are updated uh, pretty much every week, I guess, is when they update the scores. From Becky in Pennsylvania, the landline for my business has been out since Hurricane Ida. Should I expect a credit on my account for the days without service? If the company doesn't offer this, what is my recourse? Becky, I am really, really sorry that this is going on. And what I recommend, or first of all, let me deal with your question, then I have a recommendation. So this is terrible for your business to have no working phone line. Generally, the monopoly phone companies do not give you a credit for service not provided unless you call and ask for it, that, which is a crazy thing to say because you don't have a phone line working. But what you do is when your service is restored, you then call and ask for a service credit for the time period that they were not providing service. Generally, phone companies are cooperative because almost nobody ever calls to ask. So if you do call to ask, it's likely to happen. If the phone company is not cooperative, you file a complaint with your state regulators uh, which is, in, depending on the state, it's called the Public Utilities Commission, Public Service Commission, Corporation Commission, something like that, and you file that complaint. But here's something I want you to know. There are now business phone services that work in the cloud that even if the phone lines are down to your business, the calls are still being answered. The calls can forward to a cell phone. There's so many different alternatives and there are a bunch of companies that do it. If you're a Costco member, they have one they sell. I guess the biggest in the country is 8 by 8 maybe. Uh, there are a number of these that are cloud-based phone services that are very flexible and generally much cheaper 
than what you have from the Monopoly local phone company. I'm going to thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Clark Howard Show. I really appreciate you joining us. If you haven't already, please subscribe. Share us with a friend. 